0: to get 50% off. That's code SELLINGWITHLOVE50 at factormeals.com slash SELLINGWITHLOVE50 and you'll get 50% off. Not bad.
1: Generally, the issue is with the boss. The boss thinking that he or she is the all-knowing individual, not empowering the staff to think on their own, not asking or listening to feedback. So we can't just ask for feedback. We actually have to do something with it. And so, yes, the biggest joy I have is when the boss says, oh, wait, I could be the difficult person.
0: Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Valley podcast. We're about to get started with another amazing guest who's sharing incredible insights, and I want to make sure that you are aware that all of this is made possible by Mindvalley. And right now, Mindvalley has an amazing package that you can take advantage of called All Access. If you haven't heard of it before, this is basically getting every single quest of Mind Valley available to you for an annual price of under $600. And the best part is you can get started, have a test drive if you've never done a quest before, and see how amazing this transformational material is. If for any reason you feel is not what you're looking for, you're always eligible for a refund within the first 30 days. So I urge you to go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman. That way you'll be able to take advantage of this incredible offer and it will support our shows and free content such as Superhumans at Work that you get to listen to twice a week. So go in there, check out the quests that are available. All the information will be on that page which is mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman where you can also find this link in the show notes. And now let's get started with our episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Superhumans at Work. This is your host, Jason Mark Campbell. And today we're going to be talking about a fascinating topic because whether you're working as an entrepreneur or within a company, you're always going to have to deal with people. Now, what happens when you have to deal with difficult people? This is going to be the topic of today. And before I introduce the guests, remember, if you enjoy this, be sure to subscribe to Superhumans at Work and leave a review if you've particularly had impact from the episode we covered today, as we're going to be bringing you two episodes of amazing interviews every single week. And we want to reach as many people as possible to be able to enjoy the same. So Dr. Amy Cooper Hakim is an author, a workplace expert, and management consultant. She is executive consultant and founder of the Cooper Strategic Group, and she helps employees and employers get along better to coach leaders and employees to improve productivity, morale, satisfaction, and overall work-life balance. Dr. Amy's book, Working With Difficult People, provides clear strategies to effectively handle the 10 types of difficult bosses, colleagues, and subordinates. It was the number one in sales at Amazon Business Etiquette Books and is highlighted by The Parade Magazine. She's spoken on stages around the world. She's been featured in numerous publications such as The New York Times, Wall Street Journal, NBC News, Chicago Tribune, and the list goes on and on. She has a blog at Psychology Today called Dealing With Difficult People, and this is gonna be the topic of today's episode. Amy, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Now, I'm so excited to talk about this because I think everyone, when it comes to the workplace, can always find someone that they found was difficult to work with. We can always have like a complaint about someone. So is this just something we have to deal with? Is this a nature of reality that we all will have difficult people to work with?
1: Most definitely, I mean, in any relationship, whether it be personal or professional, we always deal with difficult people. It's how we respond to and react to those individuals that helps us be most productive and to be happy at the end of the day.
0: Mm. And so when you went ahead and wrote this book, like what got you excited about wanting to write a book about dealing with difficult people and maybe outline us as to what motivated you to make this happen?
1: Well, actually there's a really nice story about this book in particular. So professionally, I'm an industrial organizational psychology practitioner and workplace expert, so I help people get along better in the workplace. My grandmother is one of the people who introduced me to the field. She's actually the first author in this book. She's my co-author. She passed away, though, 20-something years ago now, and I found out that her book is still selling, and so I asked the book publisher if I might revise and modernize her words and add to them. And so it was just a very special project for me because she created this book and it was, you know, still selling, but many of the concepts, while relevant, weren't as modern as they could be. So for instance, There was no information about passive-aggressive individuals or narcissistic individuals. There was nothing about how to deal with someone perhaps who's like a boss who's looking at his smartphone instead of you when you're trying to get his attention. So none of that was out. And I was so honored when the book publisher said that that was something that I could take on. And it was just a very special project for me. I had a chance to add to her legacy and work with her even though, you know, she had passed on. And it's just something very, very special. So since then, I've really taken to the stage and helped to promote these ideas. And it's really nice because, again, it's just like a nice way for me to add to my grandmother's legacy and then continue on with my own personal career.
0: Wow, that's actually beautiful. I didn't realize that. And, you know, that's amazing that you were able to take this core work and bring it up to the, to the modern times, which actually makes me curious. Like, I'm surprised passive aggressiveness, was that just not a thing in the past? Or was, did we invent that?
1: I think that we have taken some terms. So for instance, narcissism is something that is looked at so often on Google. I forget how many times it's seen, but that's a very, very common search word. These words, people have always existed that way. We could pull people from you know, leaders from many years past who had these tendencies. We didn't label them as such. And some of the words are more hot topics or or key phrases or even pop psych type of vibe. And those things weren't there when she wrote the book so many years ago. But yes, in fact, when I was trying to determine what career to go into, I was thinking of clinical psychology. And, and she said, Amy, have you heard about this field? And while she wasn't a psychologist herself, she was always right on the cusp of new ways to help from management and management consulting.
0: That's absolutely beautiful. So as we jump into it, I'm sure there's some concepts there, the foundations of the book, like some of the key principles when it comes to working with difficult people. I mean, we all have a story of some type of coworker, whether it's a boss, whether it's someone that works for you or at the same level as you, that just makes your day difficult, just makes it hard to go through the day. So I was going to ask you, what would be some of the core principles that you've noticed and that are from the baseline, from the original work, from the new work? that has always been there? Like, What are some of the key things we should remember if we want to make our life working with other people maybe just a little bit better?
1: So the first thing to do is sometimes more challenging than it sounds. But we need to try our best, especially in the workplace, to take emotion out of the equation. So if you're emotionally invested in a relationship, let's say your your spouse, your significant other, has an issue with you, you would take offense, you would feel sad, you would want to help, and you would be emotionally connected as you should be. But in the workplace, I like to dub people we work with as those who called friendlies instead of a particular colleague. If you call that person a friendly, not a friend a friendly, it's not someone who you have that emotional connection to, but someone you want to be nice to, someone you want to be friendly with. And if you associate it that way, you can say, I want to make sure I treat that person with respect and that I act professionally, but I don't need to be emotionally invested in the same way as I would if I were dealing with a friend or a loved one. So first things first is take emotion out of the equation. We can be much more pragmatic with the way that we react and respond to others. So we get what we want from them, and they from us So we have to look at it in that practical way and it's very hard to do when i coach people i i've got a phone call or a text oh hey dr amy guess what <laughs> i took emotion out <laughs> Yes, because it's actually much more difficult than we think you know how often do we come home from work and we're ranting and raving we're saying oh my gosh this happened to me that happened to me this is just it's just in us and if we're able to take that out then we can more effectively set boundaries. We can hold ourselves and others to the expectations that we set, to the bubble, to the boundaries. And we can then have a more comfortable work day, but we can come home to spend our time and our energy on the things that truly matter.
0: Mm, That's absolutely beautiful. So making sure that we take out the emotion in that kind of interaction. Because I guess what you're saying is that if you're very charged emotionally in an interaction with a colleague, it's almost like there's no need to get to that level when you're supposed to be in a professional working relationship here.
1: Correct. We don't need the gossip. We don't need that gossip. We don't need that vibe of trying to get somebody. We're all there to get our job done, so that we can go home after we've done it effectively. And when we have that attitude, then we are much more poised. And we then present ourselves in a way that will help us to work better with those individuals.
0: So when it comes to these difficult people that we have to deal with, like, I'm assuming that there's a lot of differences based on how do I set boundaries, for example, if it it's with a boss, like someone that can, you know, review my performance, or when it comes to motivating someone that's working for me, or at the same level of me. So what are some of the key differences based on the hierarchy of the people you work with and how you handle them to be a little more easier to deal with?
1: Sure, so we do have to recognize not just their personality type, but also who they are and their relationship to us. So if I tell a subordinate that he or she must behave a certain way or act a certain way or complete a certain task or else, then that has one effect. But if I deal with somebody who is difficult at the colleague level, he or she may not respect me. They may try to step on me or do something that could hurt me and my career. And even worse, if I'm dealing with a boss who is difficult, then I have to be very careful recognizing the hierarchy and recognizing my role in the organization and with that relationship. If we look at someone like, say, a narcissist, the narcissistic individual had those same qualities. When he or she was at the low levels within an organization, when he or she was a colleague when he or she was at that, that managerial or supervisory level. However, the way that we react to and get what we want from that person has to change because we're not dealing with someone. It depends on their particular level. So if I'm dealing with my boss, I have to remember that if I really kick off my boss so much, then I may not have a job or I may have some type of disciplinary action. So that's not going to be as effective. We have to remember and focus our energy appropriately by taking into account the specific role and then what we need at the end of the day. So something regardless of individual role that I like to encourage my clients to say is, boss, in order for me to be most productive, I need. And if it's to a subordinate, you can flip it around. You can say, you know, Sally, in order for you Be most productive. What do you need from me? So we can use language that opens the line, opens the pathway, so that people are then able to interact and have that dialogue. Sometimes we're afraid to share what we need, but we all have a certain end game. So the boss wants us to be productive. The employee wants to go home wants to get his or her work done and then go do the rest of whatever it is. So, oh, wait, you want to help me? Oh, yeah, sure. I'll tell you. Actually, it, it makes me uncomfortable when you hover over me all the time because I can't get my work done. Or I need some help because I don't understand this concept. But using the word need is very effective. That's a purposeful choice.
0: Mm. I love that you use the word need, so you can be very clear on like requesting what are the things that would support you and in labeling it around the productivity as a common goal that everyone across the organization is actually striving for. I'd be curious to know, Amy, like what happens when companies hire you? Like, do they hire you at a point where there's like chaos in the organization? Like, is it employees that are like, we need you to come in and fix our boss or bosses that go and say, you need to fix my team? How does that dynamic usually play out?
1: Generally, it's the executives or the executive board. They find me and, and give me a call. It's actually a, a comical process and it happens pretty much every time. So Let's say that we have, you know, the head of an organization calling and says, you know, oh, all of my top players are leaving. I don't understand why my top performers don't want to stay. I've got this great company. I've offered them all these perks and this money. I don't know why I can't hold on to them. Can you come in and see what's wrong? Well, generally... The issue is with the boss, the boss thinking that he or she is the all knowing individual, not empowering the staff to think on their own, not asking or listening to feedback. We can't just ask for feedback. We actually have to do something with it. And so, yes, the biggest joy I have is when the boss says, oh, wait, I could be the difficult person. And so it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of strength and inner strength. And I'm sure many of your viewers, you know, have this because listening to a podcast like this, you know, we're trying to improve ourselves and better ourselves. But oftentimes we fall into a rut of thinking we are the all-knowing, that we are the ones who don't have the problem and that other people do. And so, so once we are able to recognize, you know what, it takes two to tango. And so definitely my role does make a difference in this relationship, how I react, if I can take emotion out and be more pragmatic, if I can use clear language, make sure that the message is received that I've intended to send. All those things are super important. But yes, so the boss will call me in or, or some head and I'll say, well, what's your vision for the company? What do you want to see? What's missing? Where's the break? And then the fun part is investigating. I get to talk to the various individuals and in different channels depending on the issue within the organization, and determine where there is a break in communication. Back in the old days, our TV sets used to have those antennas, like the wires that you had to adjust. And so communication issues are very much like the noise, the part that you had to fix with the antennas on the TV. It's like the, that noise. You couldn't hear and you had to keep adjusting the antennas until it was perfect and just so. And the picture all of a sudden was clear and the voice and the message came off nicely. And that's what we try to do in the organizations. We try to shuffle those antenna until everything is a little bit clearer and we remove that noise and we have this peaceful dialogue. And sometimes we need a mediator, someone in the middle to help to clear that up and to make sure that everybody feels not only heard but that something will be done with what they are saying. Now, it might be, I hear you, but we can't make that change. Or I hear you, but this isn't a practical request. But we still have to acknowledge it and indicate what we can do based on what we hear.
0: And that's really powerful. And yeah, that's so interesting. Whenever you go into an organization and be like, oh, great, you've hired me to come and scold you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but it's not like that. It's more, let's And really, very few people will say, oh, I'm the difficult one. It comes off down the road, you know, a number of times there are different types of consultants. But my goal is really to help to empower individuals within the organization to have the tools in their back pocket so they can say one day, you know, hey, Amy, I don't need you anymore. We've got this. That's what we want. When we're able to use our own emotional intelligence and we're able to take literal Have you know, hey, I need to stop and breathe before I respond. I need to be grateful for what I have. I need to come into every day trying my best to know that I am going to do my job and then I'm going to go home and I'm going to go home to the people who matter. So I'm not going to be so emotionally invested here such that I'm wiped and unable to participate in the more important aspects of my life. And we're able to recognize what work means and recognize that people pay us to do just that work not to be emotionally invested, to work and to work well. When we're able to set those boundaries and truly be honest with ourselves, then we enjoy the rest of the life that we have built based on the work that we do.
0: And I know that most of our first reaction whenever there's a difficult situation with you know, the environment or the community or the culture when it comes to the workplace, it seems like our default is always to look across the board and try to see how we can expect other people to change, right? And I feel like that's probably not the best strategy. No, <laughs> if I am someone that has some level of self-awareness, let's say, or maybe I'm lacking that self-awareness, like what can I know and do that allows me to do better changes maybe recognizing how I'm the difficult person? So,
1: I mean, most people don't like my answer here, so I just take a deep breath, but we have to ask people we love or who really care about us to be honest and we have to be prepared to not like what they say. But if we say to a friend, to a loved one, to a spouse, you know, hey, where are my strengths and where are my areas of opportunity? Then it can help us to, we can counter and we can say, oh, I actually do see a little bit of that in myself or, oh my gosh, I'm not like that at all. So if someone were to say, oh, you know, Jason, you are incredibly argumentative. No, I'm, I'm very, I'm very kind. I'm not argumentative. We'll catch ourselves behaving and reacting in a certain way. But those are what we call executive sensitivities things that we're sensitive to, things that make us act or react in a particular way. So someone who is worrying about coming off as too bossy may, for instance, either over or undercompensate. They may overcompensate by not being bossy, by saying, you know what, hey, I'm going to be really, really kind and soft. Or they may go the other way and be even meaner because people think they're bossy anyway, right? So you can have a flip-flop. But the reality is we have to recognize this is a tendency that I have, therefore. So I, for instance, happen to be very sensitive. My feelings get hurt when I put my emotions in, which is part of my <laughs> the reason why I say to take it out. But for my friends and family, my loved ones, they know when they have made me feel very proud, very happy, very touched, And they also know when I feel really hurt. And perhaps it might be unintentional on their end, but they know me and they will then say, oh, I'm sorry if I hurt you. That doesn't happen in the real world. That happens with our friends, with our loved ones, with the people who care, who accept us as a whole. When we go to work, we go to work to work. So we have to recognize the relationships. We have to understand what we want from those relationships and what we can give. And we have to say, here are some tendencies, and I'm going to be true to myself. I recognize I might be this way. I recognize this might be my hot button. So therefore, if I see it coming, here are the steps I'm going to take to reduce or minimize the impact that that might have on the way that I respond. Maybe I'll take five seconds before I press send on my email. Maybe I'll take a deep breath before retorting because maybe I'll regret what I say and I can't let the emotion in. I've got to take that moment to take a deep breath and to just relax before and think something through more so because again, a friend, a loved one, they'll say, Oh, it's okay. Don't worry. I know you didn't mean it. And the workplace is a little more difficult than that. So we've got to take ownership and we've got to make sure that we respond appropriately and that we always act with professionalism and that we're, you know, polite and kind.
0: I love it. I mean, for me, it's funny because I know I'm definitely a difficult person to work with. I always imagine people are able to read my mind and then I get frustrated by other people. And I'm like, why can't they get it? Like I share this idea and I'm like, why don't they understand what I'm trying to say? When in my head, I had all these calculations happen, which I didn't communicate. And I expect everyone to read my mind. I'm like, why aren't you on board with this? And so getting that feedback was very necessary for me to be able to realize that that's something I did. And of course, bringing it back to myself, that being that, hey, this is the responsibility I need to take to be able to be more effective with my team. And again, I love how you mentioned that whenever you're aiming towards a common goal, such as being more productive or getting more things done, if everybody's on board with that, then everybody's going to be doing what they can to make sure that we're more aligned towards that goal, which kind of brings that exception to the cause. What if you have one of those coworkers that just like are lazy, like, and I have to speak, you know, I have a family member that works in an organization where they have this like very, ineffective, kind of dragged along coworker. They're not a subordinate, so they can't boss them around. They're not a superior, which means they're just a colleague, but all the work ends up on her plate. This person wastes a lot of time. She's not picking up her own slack. She's taking a lot of sick leaves. But then in the organization, there's just not a policy that's getting rid of this person. And so how do we start being able to cope with the fact that you have to deal with someone so difficult like that?
1: Well, so there are different types of difficult people. Sometimes we associate difficult people only with the mean, bossy, narcissistic, angry, hostile individuals. But what we see more often than not is just what you're describing. Somebody who's just a pain to work with because they don't do their share of the work. They're always in your office complaining, wasting time. They don't really care about their job, but you do. And if you don't want to get on their bad side, because they could throw you under the bus or hurt you in another way, but you also still have to get your job done. So I like to be real matter of fact with those types of individuals. And I clearly say, this is something you can put in your back pocket and pull out when necessary. But, you know, is this related to the work? If it is, I've got a few minutes. If not, I've got to get back. And you can you can just keep saying that over and over again. Is this related to work? If so, I've got a few minutes. If not, I've got to get back to this. I'm right in the middle of this. And eventually that person will get the hint. If you can be friendly and polite outside of that work interaction, when you see that person in the hall or in the elevator or on a Zoom meeting, you know, say hello, chat. But when you're working, work and also recognize personally that that's not your job to deal with that individual any way other than an effort to get a job done you are not the social coordinator you are not that person's manager so and you're not hr so if there's a true issue then you need to refer that person somewhere else you can say you know hey i can't help you with this but perhaps you might want to talk to you know our manager or perhaps you may want to reach out to hr or if this is about work i can make time but otherwise i've got to get back And so we have to take the pressure of trying to pacify everyone, trying to neutralize the field. That is not our job. Our job is to do our job well, to be professional, polite, friendly, but not beyond that. And we have to set those boundaries. And if we can do so, then we end up getting our work done. So when I was in the corporate world, I managed a big team, but I had a lot of people who would come into my office. Very, very frequently. Oftentimes with things that didn't relate to work or with things that I couldn't help them with specifically. And I started arranging for, (laughs) I started to incorporate work-life balance. I would block certain times of my day and I'd say, I'm taking a walk this time and this time around the building. If you just want a schmooze, join me. If it's related to work, you can come to me during the working (laughs) time and I'm very happy to help. And so we don't want to be unavailable. We don't want to be that person who is so standoffish that no one wants to come to us for anything. As a boss, we for sure don't. But as a colleague, we also don't want that. We all want to be liked. Whether we admit it or not, we do. We don't want to come off as that callous, angry individual. We want to be someone, you know, I would rather be invited to the party that I turned down than not be invited at all. And most people feel that way. You know, some people may want to go to every party, <laughs> but some of us just want to be invited. And so we need to make sure that we create that audience where, where people feel comfortable, but they will respect our boundaries if we respect our boundaries. We need to set clear, specific, defined expectations. Here's what I'm working. Here's what I'm not. If it's something that's social, something that you can help with, I can meet you here. But this is my work block.
0: That's powerful, Amy. Thank you so much. And I think that would bring us right to the fact that I know you're working on a future book, which is about work-life balance. And as we're recording this in 2020, a lot of shifts have happened to the workplace with a lot of us meeting on these Zoom calls as opposed to face-to-face. And I was just going to ask, what have you seen as happened when it comes to the relationships between, you know, working with difficult people? How do you see that there's improvement in productivity? Do you think that boundaries are better or less respected now that we're all finding ourselves in quarantine sometimes?
1: I feel that, unfortunately, the issue with boundaries and setting and holding ourselves to the boundaries has actually caused some major dissatisfaction with the work standpoint. You know, when COVID first started, we were all using those extra minutes, making bread. (laughs) We were doing things that made us feel happy, taking extra elements of self-care Time for ourselves, time for our friends, time for our loved ones. But I think that once we got into the groove, stuck in a rut almost of I've got to always have my computer on. I've always got to respond. As people don't have the boundaries. They check their email again at nine o'clock at night. I actually had a client who I couldn't believe it. It was dinner time. This person was actually in the office, came home, physically home, and her boss needed her. So emailed, didn't get an email response. Texted, didn't get a text response. Called, didn't get a call response. The woman was sitting at dinner. She knew nothing was urgent. She actually got a FaceTime call from her boss at dinner. This is what we've come to now. Think about 50 years ago. It used to be you go to work, you do your job really, really well. You work hard, you come home, you stick your briefcase at the front entrance of the door, and you're done with work until you pick that briefcase up the next morning to go to the office. We don't have that in general, but we especially don't have that with COVID. So we have to then force ourselves to turn off our systems, force ourselves not to check the email. And if you're concerned, then you can send an out-of-office. If you send me a message between this hour and this hour, I'll be sure to respond by Office hours are, I'll be sure to respond by. Now, in certain industries, we have to be available. That's not acceptable. If we're on our own solo practitioners, we're sort of stuck. But even so, we could set, if this is urgent, I actually was pretty impressed. I received an interview request from someone and I responded back and got this out of office that said, in order to be most efficient, I will not be responding to any emails until, and I thought, hey, I mean, that's a pretty bold, and that doesn't work in most situations, right? But however you can do that in your industry, and if you can pair up with someone, if there are multiple people within your organization, and you can share and, you know, have an on-duty and an off-duty type of a thing so that you have the opportunity to relax, you know, none of us can work so hard for so long without taking a break, without burning out. Now, if we have a short-term goal, I'm going to bust my butt for two weeks, three months because I have this huge deliverable because I need to, yes, great, congratulations. But after that point, you must take a breather. And so when we get into a regular cycle and a regular routine, that schedule has to not only include time for work, it has to also include time for relaxation, time for self-care, time to be with friends, family, loved ones. And those appointments need to be just as important as the appointments that we have for work.
0: I love it. Dr. Amy Cooper Hakim, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing this incredible wisdom. For those of you who are listening, be sure to have a look at working with difficult people. This book actually outlines all the basic stereotypes of people that you might find difficult to work with and how are the different ways that you can deal with them, how you can take care of your own ways of managing your emotions, setting your proper boundaries, and really showing up fully in the workplace. I love this episode where we've talked about a few of the strategies that you can use. And I particularly love how whenever you're communicating, for example, with a superior, always communicate that in order to be more productive, what I need is. And two common things here is one being that everybody has a common goal of being more productive. And second, when you speak of needs, you can start having very clear communication on what are the things that will facilitate you being able to reach that goal. And that'll be able to have great communication that it won't be as confrontational as just simply making that demand. Communication is that frequency that needs to be tuned in perfectly or at least as best as you can so that people can understand each other best because we're all good people at the end of the day that are trying their best. And if we're finding ourselves having difficulties with people, often there is a communication barrier that can be overcome. And again, if you're working with a subordinate, you can use the opposite of the strategy that was just said is that in order to make you more productive, tell me what you need. And that way that person also says, hey, maybe I'm trying to get more things done so I can go home earlier. Boundaries has been a word that we use throughout the interviews, and it's so important. We've talked about this on multiple episodes on Superhumans at Work, but how do you become clear on defining what those are for you, especially in the times of COVID? Because just because you're at your home and the computer is nearby doesn't mean you should be checking emails at 9 p.m. at night. You should really have an off time so that you can recharge and really show up fully in the workplace the next time you are there. We'll put some links to more of the work from Amy Cooper-Hakim, as well as the fact that she is putting together a new book as well, which is going to be about work-life balance, a very important topic today. Thank you, Amy, for coming in today and sharing all this amazing insights. And for everybody listening, thanks for tuning in. Thanks again for tuning in to Superhumans at Work, which is always brought to you by Mindvalley. Know that all access is our greatest offer where all of amazing quests in every area of your life are made available for you for under $2 a day. Simply go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman and then you'll get a chance to uncover all of the available journeys that you can go through to improve every single area of your life. mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman is where you'll get all the information and you'll get to see what it's like to be part of a tribe of people looking to always improve and do the best possible in the world by starting with themselves thanks so much for tuning in and until next time stay superhuman my name is jason campbell and this is superhumans at work a mind valley podcast